I've been thinking recently that for a Christian church, we spend a surprisingly amount, small amount of time talking about Jesus here. I suspect there are a lot of reasons for this, but maybe one of the most important is that modern-day Americans tend to talk about Jesus in really simplistic ways. I remember growing up in Texas, there were these billboards that lined the interstate that looked like this. Aside from being aggressively ugly, their shallow message, Jesus is the answer, didn't make any sense to me and seemed frustratingly dismissive of how difficult and complicated the situations that we find ourselves in this life really are. Like Jesus is the answer to what? Certainly not to my math homework or the problems that I was having with my best friend in high school. Aside from that, I hated how the people that I knew who talked about Jesus the most seemed to be among the most judgmental and close-minded people I'd ever met. As a result, I sort of put Jesus on the back burner. I felt a lot more comfortable talking about God the Creator or the Feminine Holy Spirit, but Jesus just felt too, uh, honestly, evangelical for me. Recently, though, I've started to feel that my hesitance to get to know Jesus has been a real loss. For so long, I've let other people define who Jesus was and is in this world, and as a result, I've sort of lost him. I'm participating in this prayer group these days, and I'm surprised by how many people in the group pray directly to Jesus. Honestly, I would never do that. Instead, when I pray, I tend to picture like a holy cloud or a burning bush, maybe. Or actually, if I'm being honest, that grandma tree lady from Pocahontas, Grandmother Willow. Honestly, I'm not quite sure what I picture, but I definitely don't picture Jesus. And while that's not bad in itself, God certainly has infinite faces and forms, I do think there's something sort of sad about this distance that I feel from Jesus, even as a Christian, and especially as a pastor. But these days, it doesn't only make me sad, it actually is making me kind of mad. Because I'm quite sure that this distance that I feel isn't actually about Jesus so much as it's about the way that our culture tends to wrongly portray Jesus. I think it has a lot more to do with the type of politics and agenda of the people in our culture who speak most loudly and most incorrectly, I think, about Jesus. And the thing is, I suspect I'm not alone among root and branchers when it comes to feeling a little nervous about Jesus. Many of you have expressed tentativeness about reading the Bible, especially when we know it can be so problematic. And some of you have told me that you're really not comfortable saying you're a Christian at all. You like root and branch because it's a group of thoughtful people who care about each other and think and um, so think openly and support one another. But this whole Jesus thing, maybe it's just not for you. And while that's okay, and you're certainly welcome here, I'm starting to think some of our collective hesitation around Christianity and Jesus might actually begin to loosen if we got a little more serious about figuring out who this Jesus person was, and a bit more clear on who he could be in our lives today. Honestly, y'all, some of the things that are coming out of my mouth these days surprise me, but here I go. I think we need to get serious about Jesus here at Root and Branch. I really do. Because he's actually kind of cool and interesting. You see, the Jesus that we meet in the Gospels is a complex human being. He's like us in a whole lot of ways. 
He weeps, he loves, he makes crass jokes. He outwitted religious people, like basically the Jerry Falwells of his day and scriptural debates. And he was constantly telling these weird stories and coming up with creative metaphors. He cared about poor people and women and children. And despite living a principled and courageous and loving life, he ended up dying at the hands of empire. This Jesus that we meet in the Gospels is not lifeless and boring. He's not a demagogue for modern Republicans. <laughs> He's someone that I'd like to learn from. He's actually quite a character, a human being. And when we encounter him in this complexity, it's like a whole lot harder to co-opt him to whatever sort of cause we want by proof texting. It's that sort of proof texting combined with some people's inability and I'll just say it, our, our liberal, progressive, not quite sure where we stand with this whole Christianity thing. It's our inability and unwillingness to challenge that image, to base what we believe and know about um, ourselves, about our faith and scripture in the real accounts of who Jesus was, according to the gospels, according to history, that lets some people give us this guy gun-toting white man Murica Jesus. Ew. Y'all, that's not the person that we meet in the Gospels. And part of the reason that we continue to study and talk about scripture here at Root and Branch is so that we can say unequivocally and with certainty and on a basis of information that that's not who Jesus was or who he is today. To do that, though, we need to have a basic knowledge of how the Bible works, of what's in there. We need to be clear on some facts about the Bible, that there's four different accounts of Jesus's life, four Gospels, and that they each differ slightly in terms of how they portray Jesus and his character. They tell unique stories. Sometimes they even contradict each other. We need to be people who can hold that sort of complexity in mind and take it even a step further and grapple with the fact that there's at least 30 more accounts of Jesus's life that scholars know of that didn't make it into the Bible, that even some of the uh, kind of unfairly treated uh, figures of Christian history, Mary Magdalene, Judas, Thomas, Doubting Thomas, as they call him, also have gospel accounts that give us a slightly different picture of Jesus. And with all of these different ideas and perspectives on Jesus, we become the sort of people who can hold complexity and multiple truths in our minds and even hearts at one time. And that helps us do justice to this tradition. The Christian tradition is not here just to give you simple answers to things. In fact, at its very center is this paradox, this contradiction. Jesus is fully God and fully human. Those things are just don't result in, in simplicity. They result in mind-blowing, um, mind-bending kind of way of being that we don't just reduce people or ideas to slogans, to catchphrases, but we have to actually grapple with um, complexity, nuance, even uncertainty. And so to this doctrine that I think is often missed when we reduce Jesus to something like the answer, the doctrine that he is fully human, there's numerous examples, um, stories that really underscore how true that was for Jesus in the Gospels. For example, that sometimes he made mistakes, 
he was kind of an asshole to this woman who came up to ask him for help and he called her a dog and he wouldn't help her until she corrected him. Now, of course, to his credit, after she corrected him, he did help her. But it's up to people like us, people who want to be thinking when it comes to our faith, to our Christianity, to, to deal with these stories in serious, mature, critical, thoughtful ways, and to have a way to talk about them with whoever it may be that we are having a challenging conversation with. Um, and so it's also up to us, though, to not just, and this, I think, can be a temptation for us or for me, maybe, um, and I'll be so bold as to say, maybe some of you, to just write Jesus off when we see him uh, make mistakes or when we see contradictions in the, in the Bible. But that's also not what we're here to do. We also have a duty, a responsibility, and I also think it's just good for us to hold in mind the numerous examples in the Bible of the times that he treated people with exceptional kindness, with exceptional compassion, with all of the times that he welcomed children to his, um, to his teachings, outsiders, tax collectors, women, uh, people who in that society and honestly in our world today usually aren't given the time of day. And when we see him do that, that is, um, that's the sort of thing that we can say with certainty we want to emulate and that we see as a true representation of who Jesus is and who we are to be as his followers. And so in addition to all of these different aspects of his personality uh, that we see through stories, we can also take what he says as evidence of who he was. And so one of these places that we can uh, look most, um, get a whole lot of information about who Jesus was is the Sermon on the Mount, um, which is in the Gospel of Matthew. There's a parallel in Luke called the Sermon on the Plain, but we can talk about that later. But why the Sermon on the Mount is important is because it's Jesus's longest speech in any of the Gospels, and it also shows something really, really crucial about Jesus, which is that he was Jewish, he studied and knew Torah, and he took it extremely seriously. And yet, despite being so committed to his religion, to his um, people's faith and tradition, he also wasn't afraid to challenge the religious authorities of his time on many issues. But what did he use to challenge the religious authorities of his time? He used scripture. Y'all, I think that's what we're trying to do. We're not for the sake of challenging people, but for the sake of having a common language to talk about the most important things of our day. That's what scripture of our day and honestly of all time. That's what scripture is for us. It's this um, commons, this piece of, of wisdom, these teachings that we uh, can internalize, we can reflect on, and we can talk to others about to come to a clear understanding of what's true and good and real and how we want to live. And so at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this kind of um, perhaps perplexing thing. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus says that fulfilling the law of Moses and the teachings of the prophets here on earth was in fact his purpose. The law of Moses refers to the Ten Commandments and the other teachings of Torah. But then Jesus takes it a step further. He tells his disciples who are listening that their righteousness, their goodness, their actions need to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. 
those are the most religious people of that time, probably the most religious people the disciples could have thought of. And so that's rather intense. It's especially intense because the rest of the Sermon on the Mount includes some of Jesus's most challenging teachings. For example, he doubles down on the, the commandment not to murder, and he says that even harboring anger at someone will make one liable to God's judgment. He prohibits divorce without any sort of exception, no consideration of the, the situation, just prohibits divorce. He tells people not to be anxious and not to worry. But he also tells people to turn the other cheek and to give, to give anything to anyone who asks. At one point, Jesus tells people to literally, as a gross, pluck out their eye if it causes them to lust. Taken out of context and applied like a law, these teachings could result in some pretty dystopian, handmaid's tale-like stuff. It's easy and terrifying and honestly timely to imagine some people taking these, these teachings of Jesus and trying to make them into the United States law trying to make this country, this world, into some sort of Gilead-like theocracy. Honestly, that's terrifying. But I don't think that Jesus meant for these rules to be applied literally, and certainly not to become the law of any sort of country or nation. And honestly, if we look a little closer at the um, entire gospel story, even of Matthew, the sort of literal universal interpretive approach doesn't actually make sense. First of all, it doesn't work because Jesus himself doesn't follow these teachings later on, at least not to the letter, the strict letter as they are set, said. Because not 20 chapters later, we see Jesus get angry at the money changers selling things in the temple. He literally seems to yell, fighting words at them, and then flips tables. Clearly, even Jesus felt that there were certain circumstances that sometimes called for anger. And of course, we see Jesus worry in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before his crucifixion. So if Jesus did not think that these were rules to be applied to every moment of his life without exception, why did he even give this sermon? How did he intend for people to apply these teachings to their lives? I can't say for sure, of course, but it's important that we keep in mind the context in which Jesus offered these teachings. Throughout the Gospels, we see time and again that Jesus challenges people who would use the letter of the law to find loopholes that would justify their own selfish interests, or they would practice the law in this showy way to celebrate their own righteousness. Now, we need to be wary of um, having an anti-Semitic approach here, which many people have done and said that that was typical of Jewish people. It's not then, or it's not now, it wasn't then. I, it's still a mis, um, misinformed malpractice sort of way, from what I understand, of engaging um, with the Torah in uh, the Jewish faith. And according to rabbinic teachings, there's the whole set of complexity to um, how they think about law and a lot of what rabbis do, in fact, is um, think creatively about the, the Torah, the um, Mosaic law, and try to apply it in really thoughtful ways to current situations. But even despite those good intentions of the law and the um, thoughtful practice, people are people. And then, as now, people um, can try to 
use something that's intended for good, that's intended for life to um, further their own less than life-giving ends and purposes. And so it was against that background um, in the face of people who were misusing the law that Jesus' teachings of the Sermon on the Mount uh, came to be. And so for us to understand the Sermon on the Mount, we have to understand that his intention was to teach people how to engage the law and to do so in a way that is right and useful and within um, the spirit of the law. And so with that in mind, Jesus is not here to just like lay down rules that we're all supposed to just follow without thinking. He's actually a lot more like Socrates or Plato. He's like a moral teacher who has this real talent for thinking deeply about what is good and right and um, will enhance the flourishing of life and challenging other people to think more deeply about those things too. He's somebody who didn't want to take for granted what was commonly accepted about morality and just go with the, the currents and tides of his time, especially when he thought that they weren't serving people well. He wanted to complicate things, to get people to think, to get people to honestly question, question themselves, question what they saw other people doing, and change their lives for the better. I guess what I'm trying to say, to put it in ethical terms, is Jesus is not like a modern-day deontologist. So, de well, ethics. Uh, I'm doing, anyways, ethics. He's not a modern-day deontologist. So basically, deontologists are um, a type of ethicist, and it's really a modern type of ethicist that really didn't exist until this guy, Immanuel Kant, existed. But um, anyways, setting that aside, they are people who try to discern universal rules for how people are supposed to live, and essentially who would say that as long as you're following these sets of rules, then you're good to go. I actually think one of the major problems with a lot of modern-day Christian culture and so-called ethics is that it's applying this rule-based deontological approach to biblical teachings that weren't intended to be a deontolo deontological framework. Let me just raise my glasses here as I say that. Um, the idea that I think is misinformed of a lot of modern Christianity is that we can just take rules from the Torah or from the writings of Paul or something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount out of context and stick it into whatever situation we're facing in our life and um, follow it like it's some sort of divine command that we just have to unthinkingly follow. But that's not the framework that um, the Jewish people used in Jesus's time to think about ethics. That's not the framework that the Greek and uh, Greek culture that the Jewish people and the Roman Empire inherited used to think about ethics, there wasn't this sort of deontological framework. What they had was basically the ancient Greek framework of virtue ethics. That's a whole different system. And so within virtue ethics, the basic idea is that in order to live well, we have to change from the inside out. In order to live well, to be virtuous, we have to practice the virtues. We have to become habituated to them. We have to practice things like generosity and justice, courage and hope all the time, as much as we can. And it's an order of these little moments of being generous, these little moments of being just, of being hopeful, 
actually changes us into the, the type of people who can encounter a difficult situation and think about it with our minds, with our hearts, even virtue ethicists, we're really concerned about your body, even with our body knowledge, and live into that situation with integrity and with virtue. It's not like we're applying these rules from the outside onto our lives, but we're actually interpreting the situation according to what's happening and out of our values. And more than that, each of the moments of practicing virtue occur in a specific context that brings its own unique um, issues. So like, for example, living in the pandemic, that's changed for a lot of us how we think about what it is to be loving. We've heard this phrase over and over again, I think, that right now what it is to show love is to be distant, to, to give space to other people, to stay home, to stay six feet apart. And while that is all certainly true, the real, uh, I think, gift and difficulty of a virtue ethic is it would also say there are certain circumstances and situations, even within this pandemic, this very same pandemic, that would say sometimes showing love uh, might be if you're having a friend who's having a really difficult mental health day to go um, and share a meal with them. Of course, do it in a smart way, but um, even within these times when rules seem honestly messy, but they can feel really rigid, we still have to think with one another, think with ourselves, think with our deeper values about how it is that we're going to embody love and care for other people best. And so at the end of the day, in a world as complex as ours, morality is really complex too. And our task as followers of Jesus is to be the kind of people who take on the urgent and difficult work of thinking complexly and critically about what it is to be moral and living toward morality with seriousness and grace. And so you might be wondering, if we can't fall back on any sort of rules to follow Jesus, then is there anything concrete we can rely on? Or is everything just complicated and complex, as I've said a million times? And at the end of the day, there is something, I think, no, I don't think, it is a fact that we can rely on unequivocally that we find in the scriptures when it comes to Jesus. And honestly, it's not going to be a shocking principle. That principle is love. Time and again throughout the Gospels, Jesus talks about loving God and loving neighbor. That's the most common thing that he um, talks about. It's his home base that he comes down uh, back to time and time again. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, we hear him say that all of the laws can be summarized in the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Across the Gospels, Jesus' focus on love remains consistent. And so for us today, love must remain the consistent principle that guides our lives and grounds our judgments about how to live. In fact, if we look again, actually love is at the heart of each of these teachings that at first glance can be so harsh in the Sermon on the Mount. Instead of holding on to anger, Jesus emphasizes the need for reconciliation. Against abandoning people who rely on you, Jesus tells us to take our responsibility to others very seriously and not leave them. Jesus teaches us not to be, to be careful not to objectify others, to look inward at what is holding us back from love always. And so through it all, 
Jesus is reminding those who listen to him that putting love for others into practice is the most important thing in this life. But that real love for others comes with challenges. It comes with interpretive challenges. It comes with personal challenges. It's not self-justifying, but it's self-giving and self-transforming. Sometimes it means challenging authorities. Sometimes it means listening to authorities. And it's really up to us to become the type of people who um, embody that love, who think deeply about that love, who feel that love, if we're going to be followers of Jesus today. So go out into this messy, messy world, this messy month, and fulfill the law of, the law of love in all you do. Amen. <laughs>